Welcome, everyone, back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I am joined on this fine <clears throat> Friday uh, by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm very good, Dave. And you? On this beautiful Friday. And you? Yeah, I'm, I'm great, too. You're good, too. Okay. I've well, never that's... been better. Yeah, you know, what could you ask for? You know, we're, I can we're only healthy. ask for I can only ask for a delightful September twenty fourth, a Friday that we're recording this. You know, it's all about uh, a good Thursday. Yeah, but we've already right? gotten or, past or that Friday. We're now in, we're on yeah. Friday. It's all about having a good day today. Yeah, we are just yeah. we're trying to have a very good Friday here on this, as I said, Friday, September twenty fourth, when we're recording. See, there's a philosopher out there in the UCLA. Uh, kind of community that has impacted our lives in the way we we think it's kind of zenish don't you think i think so i think exactly right it's all about having a good day whatever day you're on and today we are on friday so let's have a good friday he's a zen master he truly is that that chipper so let's talk about football then yeah Um, let's do it and, and one of my favorite subjects to listen to you talk about and that's david shaw yeah yeah, so you love yourself some David Shaw. It 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 you know it's tough. It's tough because um, so coming into this season, uh, there was reason to believe um, that Stanford was going to be bad. Uh, in fact, they looked quite bad in the opener, thus confirming what you might have thought preseason. Uh, however. They then um, mollywopped USC to the point where USC actually fired their coach, um, and then uh, beat the we hell out of Vanderbilt. We will always hate Stanford for that, for one thing. But yeah, keep going. And then they beat the hell out of Vanderbilt. So uh, what we're looking at with Stanford, at least to my eye, based on what I have um, gleaned from watching uh, pretty much three of their entire games now. Um, yep. is that uh, they are a lot like um, the last few Stanford teams that were decent, which is they've got a pretty good passing offense, like especially now that Tanner McKee is ensconced there. They've got their usual assortment of just big receivers who make one-on-one plays downfield. Their defense is bad. Um, I, I, I'm not really buying right. what the stats show us quite yet, but they've got a pretty good offense, and thus... Um, it's 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 basically the last few Stanford teams, and um, if you've been following UCLA's um, competition with Stanford uh, the last few times, the only time the Bruins won was when they went against um, something called Jack West, um, and and he uh, he he can't really play the position of quarterback, uh, but they had him start the game against UCLA when they won. So uh, I guess what I'm saying, Tracy, is I'm not optimistic. For UCLA, or you're not optimistic that UCLA will win this game? I'm not optimistic for this being a good time. Like, I'm not optimistic for having fun <laughs> watching this football game. And that's, so we should do a, you should do your previews, not on who wins, not projecting on who, you should just completely make it thematically whether someone's going to have fun watching Not, not even whether someone, will I have a good time watching this? <laughs> That is that is the true preview. Is will will Dave Woods have a good time watching this game? And the and, answer I can tell you definitively is no. I will not. And have that a good could time be dramatically different if most of the population might enjoy 
watching the game. Well, it's just going to be whether Dave Woods enjoys Well, let game. me tell you, uh, Fresno State, uh, I think uh, pretty much the college football world, anybody who could actually tune into that game, uh, enjoyed that game. I did not enjoy that game. I didn't enjoy it when it was back and forth and it still looked like UCLA could win. No, I did not enjoy that football game. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was... It generally was not an enjoyable game for a lot of... It, it wasn't like a greatly p- competitive game where it's like two prize fighters taking punches at... It was UCLA looking bad and then having to play catch-up the whole game, which is always disturbing. Because you think even if they won the game, yeah, they didn't look very good. And then, and then to go ahead and then lose it the way they did. But I've got some questions for you about Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um... Because I did that article this week, loosely saying, can the rest of UCLA's opponents do what Fresno State did to UCLA? And a lot of it is going to be, I mean, there are a lot of keys to that. Uh, first, let's talk about Tanner McKee. I, I watched him in all three games. I like him. I think he has some tremendous upside. Um, he is young. He's not young. He is, uh, I think he should be a junior when it comes to his actual age. Um but he's inexperienced, we could say. Does he have what it takes to withstand and be able to make quick decisions and the right decisions under UCLA's pressure? And will Stanford's offensive line protect him enough to enable him to make the right decisions? Uh, I, I think there's a chance. I think I, I don't think it's a sure thing, but I think there's a chance. I've actually, I mean, even though he has not played a lot of football, um, I've liked his poise um, in the first three games. Uh, I think it's a different beast. Uh, Stanford is, but it always kind of is. Um, they've got guys who can just win one on one downfield, um, whereas Fresno, they were just getting guys wide open. Um, with those weird cushions, uh, but I think UCLA might almost go back to the cushion for this one. Um, because if they get into bump and run with these big dudes, um, I don't know how that's going to work out. So I'm I, I'm a little bit concerned about the uh, passing attack for Stanford. I do think they can take advantage of uh, UCLA's setup. A lot is, again, going to come down to, okay, how long, um, how long will the Stanford passing plays have to develop? Because that's the one thing with David Shaw. It's not a quick hitting offense. It's not like um, it's not. It's not like what Kalen DeBoer has going at Fresno State, where it's you know essentially like West Coasty um, with how quickly they're trying to get the ball out. Uh, David Shaw really isn't. Um, so they're going to be longer developing plays. Um, so I think there's more chance that UCLA has successful pressure. Um, but McKee has looked poised so far. So. I don't think they're going to have the kind of success against him, for example, that they had against Cordero in game one or Max Johnson in game two. Um, I think he looks a little bit more poised than either of those guys. Uh, But that said, I don't think it's going to be Jake Hayner just because the thing with Hayner is, yeah, there was pressure coming after him and he would just like do weird stuff like nearly throw the ball underhanded to a guy or like just kind of throw it like change his arm angle and just toss it around a dude. Like he was doing stuff that... um, you see out of pro quarterbacks um, where they just improvise with their arm angles and stuff to get the ball around defenders. Um, And just the toughness uh, from him where he was just willing to stand in there even after he was getting rocked over and over and over again. So I don't think McKee brings that. Um, And I think there's another factor here, um, which we'll probably get to talking about Stanford's defense that'll change the complexion of the game. 
Um, but I think there, it, it depends on, you know, is Quentin Lake going to be healthy? Um, is Otito Bonia going to be healthy? Is Mitchell Goode going to be healthy? If those guys aren't fully healthy, 100%, or, you know, they're playing hurt or whatever, that could also change the complexion of what UCLA can even do defensively against them. Um, and, and a dimension of that. Uh, Stanford is, I mean, I, I don't know if we have an up-to-date report, but they're missing a lot of their running backs. Yes. Um, will they have a complimentary... Uh, Stanford, I don't think, is ever going to go completely to the air. I don't think David They Shaw, have, but they have recently um, because they've run out of running attack uh, options before. And actually, um, what David Shaw has created there, um, weirdly, is like this power air raid personnel like with those big receivers and these strong-armed quarterbacks who can just make throws, they were doing this, I don't know, two or three years ago where they basically went, um, uh, from a pass-run standpoint, air raid. Uh, I, I think they've still got that in their back pocket if they want to do it. I think he's going to be committed to trying to run the ball, but this would be a game where he could go back to essentially what they were doing two or three years ago. Um because that's that's been more of what Stanford's done the last few years than that, you know, Bryce Love or Christian McCaffrey, you know, or Toby Gerhardt right. or whatever running attack. Um, yeah, I I kind of agree. Um, if you watched a lot of Stanford, though, those big receivers, <laughs> and I think I was thinking this, and someone put it on the on the forum that Stanford's game plan for third down is just to try to generate a pass interference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they did it. They did it quite. They've done it quite often. Um, so there's, there is the element of those receivers and they are, they are good. So I, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say there's so many elements of it without, without, good running backs you might not have extra pass protection or experience pass protection to go against UCLA's uh pass rush do we trust um chip chip kelly doesn't generally a lot of times kind of concede that he might have been wrong about something i would take this as a concession this week when uh monday we were asking him certain things about what happened in Fresno State. And he quickly said, when we were asking him about the cornerbacks playing off, he said, yeah, we're going to tighten that up, which was pretty much his about the most concession you're going to get that something didn't work before. And you don't believe that. You don't think they're going to do. Well, I think, he, I, I think he meant specifically for that game. We needed to tighten that up. Um, and I don't know. It depends on. That's what... not the way I took that. It sounded to me, maybe I need to go. Is that going forward? We need to tighten that up. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I think there might've been, he could have meant that a few different ways. We need to tighten up our communication because it sounds like from the DBs who were talking this week, the coaches did direct them to do that. And the DBs didn't or something to that effect. Or, or were they just not wanting to throw their coaches under the bus? Who knows? Um, but it could have been a communication issue, too, especially with Quentin Lake out for much of the second half and actually a lot of the first. Um, so I, it could have been a wide variety of things. I just don't know if they're really going to change matchup dependent, and Stanford might not be a great fit for that. I don't know. Um, it'll depend a lot. So much of it is how it marries with the pass rush. If they have some advantages with what they're doing against that offensive line, then that might change some things with what they scheme out 
uh, in the secondary. Um, and so I think much will depend on what they're doing in the first couple of series for Stanford. If, you know, if Mitchell Agude is, you know, limited in this one and they're not getting much with a four-man rush or whatever, then, you know, we, we might see some odd things in the secondary. Um <laughs> To me, I think the big, I mean, if we've finished with Stanford's offense, UCLA's defense, I, I, I think the, uh, the primary key for this game to me, again, is if UCLA can run the ball. Um, last week, what we saw, and I understand Chip Kelly's uh, theory, um, they're going to stack the box, Fresno State. They're probably going to bracket Greg Dulcich, which which they did. So we're going to have some one-on-one situations with our other receivers, and we're going to be able to exploit that. And they did. Um, they became a big play, um, you know, big chunk, explosive, quick-scoring team. I think while, of course, you like the points on the board, it, it did contribute to UCLA losing that game because what it does need to do is grind out the running game and wear down opposing defenses to where in the second half, now you're really gashing them. Um, will they be able to do that against Stanford? This is this could be one of the worst Stanford rushing defenses we've seen in a long time. Uh, 115th in the nation, allowing what something over 5, 5.9, something like that, uh, yards per, per rush, per attempt. Um, that's not good. And if UCLA can run the ball, it changes the whole complexion. And I want and I want to throw this at you too. We were talking about how Chip Kelly, it's kind of related. I think if we're psychoanalyzing him, let's just make this a good Thursday. He's very the way he thinks is very compartmentalized. Let's just do this. It's very process oriented. Which if you kind of lift that and apply it to does he have a game plan on offense and defense, which is cohesive and works off each other well, you could maybe see how Chip Kelly wouldn't have that. Like he, the defense has their game plan and the offense has a game plan and they don't, they're not really thematically on the same page. Um, do you, do you think he might recognize that his offensive game plan combined with what they were planning to do against uh, defensively against Fresno State didn't work. Can he change? And how big of an impact do you think the running game, UCLA's running game is on this game? I mean, I think it's huge. Um, I think the running game, um, it, it, if they can't generate um, uh, much rushing attack against this, uh, against this Stanford defense, uh, that's a huge, huge worry sign for the remainder of the season. Um, and it'll probably mean the changes they've made on the offensive line with Sam Marazzo coming in have not worked and they need to go back to what they were doing in the first couple of games. Cause that would be, that would be a catastrophe. And Mike Martinez being out is a significant factor there. Um, yeah. you know, he's acting as a sixth offensive lineman on a lot of downs. Um, so that would be a major, major concern if they can't run the ball. Um, yeah, I think the way it worked out against Fresno state is definitely to that point where time of possession ended up being, I think two to one in Fresno State's favor, and it was because UCLA was very boomer bust and was more pass happy than it has been. Um, and so you had some series where they just didn't generate anything or they turned it over. 
But it was also some other just weird stuff happening. Like they'd get a stop and then they would go off sides on two consecutive fourth and ones on special teams. Like just, you know, disaster stuff. Um, so it was it was a lot of contributing factors. But yes, I mean, the success of the offense compared to... And I don't think it was like designed game plan. I don't think they wanted Fresno State to just be able to dink and dunk down the field forever. Um, it was just that's the way it worked out because their pressure couldn't get home. Um, they couldn't create enough negative plays. Um, and so the result was uh, Fresno was on the field forever and UCLA was never on the field. Um, I, I don't, that hasn't really been the MO for um, these Chip Kelly teams, um, even when they've been bad. So I, I wouldn't anticipate that carrying forward, but I don't know. We need to see what this offensive line can do against, um, uh, I think, a worse defense than Fresno State has. Um, but with with Sam Marazzo back, I mean, he's now had a game under his belt. Is he ready to play, you know, closer to his 80 or 90% level? Because that, you know, I mean, I think it gets lost because people are just like, what have you done for me lately? Marazzo was good last year. Like, he was fine. Yeah. He was mobile. Yeah. Um, I mean, not the strongest guy, but he was mobile. Um, and he didn't even look that mobile uh, against Fresno State. So um, maybe he gets his legs under him a little bit better, a little bit more confident in those knees, and he's able to... Um, you know, play a much better game against Stanford. But that's, I think that's a, a, a big key for UCLA is they got to get better center play. And then I think to Chris Osgood's point, um, as much as Stanford may tempt you with their, you know, style of play, do not play this one in a phone booth. Um, don't, don't give them an advantage um, with numbers that they don't have with talent. Um, their front seven isn't good. Take advantage of that by spreading them out and forcing them to make individual plays. Don't just play this, you know, between the hashes. Uh, I There's so much that to talk about what you just said. First, I'll start with the most recent. It was during that game. I have a friend who's a big X's and O's guys during the game. He just kept saying, why, why is he so compact? Why is he doing this? He's playing right into their stack box. Why not spread it out? Just, I mean, he texted me that like five times in the game. <laughs> And, and then Chris does that analysis that exactly supports supports that. Uh, I, I don't have, and then after the game, my friend said, why does Chip Kelly do that? I mean, he's not dumb. So arrogance, I, we're gonna do this because this is my, I, this is my game plan and I'm the smartest guy in the room. And- I, I, don't, I, I don't know if it's that. I think it was probably um, a misevaluation of talent maybe. Um, where, and also, um, uh, Mike Martinez going down. I mean, I think that might've actually changed the game plan more than anything else. Cause that was what first half, but don't see the he, that's the thing about him. I think he does great game plans well, more often than not. His game plan is going to be a superior game plan to what he's facing defensively, but okay. Martinez goes down the, the, the compact formations against the stack box aren't working. You've got to be nimble and, and, and move and change. And like Chris Osgood's headline reads, it was too late. Even though the offense still did pretty well, it's, that's a thing about is up for discussion too. His in-game adjustments, are they there? Are they quick enough? Um, that's that's a question. Mike Martinez uh, is going to be out. He's their, I'm not even just going to say their best blocking tight end, but maybe their only blocking tight end because Greg Dulcich is, doesn't block a lot, and is when he does, he's not good at it. Um, 
I would say Ezeke is not a greatly accomplished blocker. Uh, Prive, we haven't really seen him much. UCLA has in the past, when it's wanted to, uh, gone to a sixth offensive lineman. It has, uh, you know, an experienced rotation of seven guys. So I could see them plugging in Duke, uh, Duke Clemens as a, the makeshift tight end to function as that blocking tight end. And that would be very interesting to watch. And it would be really fun because, you know, Duke's a pretty good athlete. Throw him the ball one time, right? Yeah. That'd be, that'd be cool. Um, Here's another thing going a little bit off, but very interesting. A very good uh, college coach friend of mine. One of our long-running discussions is I've always asked, okay, so you've got coaches down on the sideline, and they're basically in the whole process of coaching up their guys um, and then getting plays in making making the calls the people guys in the booth are analyzing what plays they should be doing down in distance what's going are there coaches that are specifically like evaluating players like whoa this guy is not having a good game um we need we need to get him out i, I mean obviously there are blatant instances where you look and wow that guy just got burned but a lot of times away from the ball you might not notice it and from what I've learned, a lot of programs don't have that. They literally don't have someone evaluating players on an ongoing basis in a game, which I find surprising. But I just wanted to get that point in. Um, yeah, the phone booth thing has got to go. And I, and I would think he'd be tempted to do it again against Stanford. Don't you think? I mean, I think in, in the sense that he's always kind of tempted to do it because that's the way he's yeah. designed this offense. Um for sure, uh, I just I think you're you're playing um, not to Stanford's strength because I don't really think that they have a strength defensively in the front seven. You're just allowing them to get more numbers in there, and you're forcing more one on ones within that area, and just allowing them to get more bodies to potentially tackle your ball carriers. Um, I don't think any of them are very good. Uh, it's not like Fresno State um, where they had some you know they had some good players and also very well coached. I don't think Stanford's very well coached defensively either. Um, so uh, you, I think they could have success doing it. I think they'll just have more if they spread it out, especially to start the game and then maybe tighten it up late when you're, you know, trying to just pound the hell out of them. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be essential for them to run the ball, um, especially with the defense potentially being a little bit depleted in this one. Um, you know, with Quentin Lake, um, Igbonia and Agude potentially, um, limited or out. So um, all of that uh, points to you need to be able to run the ball. Well, what have they been most successful doing when they're running the ball? Well, at least of late, spread it out some. Um, make it so they have to only have, you know, five or six in the box at most. Um, Do you remember any of Chris's, uh, uh, refresh my memory, has, has the compressed formation like that ever really produced a high percentage of successful plays? Yeah, I mean, early on, earlier on in the season, it looked like they were building towards some pretty good stuff with tight ends. The issue was, um, the issue I think right now is that Mike Martinez is going to be out, um, and I think he's a big part of why uh, those formations have worked a little bit more. Um, no, but I think going back to last year, year before, whatever, um, the eleven personnel stuff has been the bread and butter that has actually worked. Yep. Um, yep. And 
I, I understand the, the need to be versatile. And, and frankly, my, my complaints remain uh, mostly defensive with UCLA. I think the offense, I mean, even if you look at that game and you're like, oh, crap, they, you know, they really struggled in the first half and maybe blew the game because of that. Uh, they still averaged, you know, close to eight yards of play. Yeah, um, I agree. They were still super explosive. Uh, they did enough offensively to win that game. They just uh, couldn't string together enough stops. And special teams completely gacked it a few times. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's you, you, the, the offense, I think, is the um, easiest kind of WTF with Chip Kelly just because, okay, you had the, you know, <laughs> the, the best, uh, basically the best offensive thing going 10 years ago, and now it's uh, something completely different. But it's been fine. It's been good. I mean, this year it's still, I think, in, in Alex's numbers, still in the very good section. Um, it's just the defense, uh, I, and I think that's the main concern, is that the defense in that game against Fresno State looked a hell of a lot like the defense that closed out last year, um, where yes. they were unable to get to the quarterback, and that uh, turned the entire defense into a pumpkin. Uh, let me, one more thing on the offense. Zach Charbonnet is too, is too much of an elite talent not to get him touches somehow. He just is. You, you got to throw him the ball out uh, out on swing passes and a flat. You, you've got it. You've got to get him touches. Yeah, okay, there's, this, but... there's this thing with Chip, which is interesting. Which is, I think, once um, once people know about a guy, um, know what he can do, he then like I think he gets a little clever with like using. It's very NFLish. Yeah, yeah. Because um, he was doing that with Demetric Felton too. Um, once D- Demetric yeah. Felton kind of broke out, um, so I don't know if that's playing a role there. Yeah. But you're, I completely agree. Uh, the offense has been, I wouldn't even say adequate. It's been better than adequate. It's done enough to win every game. Um, while we can nitpick uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson and his performances, his fumble, all of that, he did plenty to win that game, by far. It's UCLA's defense, as it's always been. That's the question mark. Um, it would be really, really... I mean, disappointing, disturbing. I can't even come up with a word. If this scheme is already scouted out <laughs> for this season, and there and more teams than not know how to scheme against it. So, um, th- and that's something I want to uh, I want to address first, which is um, Fresno State's offense truly was very, very well coached. Like, if, if go back and watch that game and just analyze, like how they moved protection um, and how many guys were available to put hat on hat in the blocking game because they they just they had this really really well done I don't know if every staff's going to be able to do that I don't know if there's a really simple tell that we're all missing that is there I think they just did a great job of having protection I think Jake Hayner did a good job adjusting things at the line um, I think they had a really, really, really good offensive setup in that game, and I don't know if that's going to be mimicked by everyone. Um, but if it is, the defense goes right back to looking like trash. Like, not just bad, they look like trash. Um, and that's a major concern. When your blitzes don't get home and your defense just suddenly loses all ability to do anything functional, That's uh, you can't have that. And that was, you know, kind of coming into the year. Will they be able to do more out of the base defense? Will they be able to just kind of play, you know, four pass rushers and actually get home? And to this point, 
as much as Mitchell Agude, I think, has played really, really well, they haven't gotten enough. They 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 do not get enough out of a four-man rush. And if you don't do that, you're opening yourself up to get silly burned because the secondary, if you're looking for an area where UCLA is talent deficient related or relative to, I think, UCLA teams of yesteryear, it's in the secondary. I don't think they have a ton of great talent there. Um, I think that was exposed in this game against Fresno State because I don't think those Fresno State receivers are that good. And one-on-one, they were not just beating UCLA's corners, but obviously scaring them. Like, they were playing 15 yards off for a reason. Um, And that's a major concern. I'm still not buying that it was their their option to play off. It scared somebody, Tracy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the matchup I, I between their receivers the guy and those DBs the, scared somebody, and that's a someone in the Someone up in the booth, not on the field, I think. Um, it, it really does it, – <laughs> it really does come down to playing playing scared or or not. And, and no matter how you apply that, whether that's, you know, the more traditional kind of bend and not break or whether it's – Sending all that pressure, but then provide letting having your DBs play off, which is which is pretty much just exactly giving someone like Jake Hayner the a perfect way around your defensive philosophy, which is so crazy. I would, I mean, I think at this point, after it was exposed, talked about not only by us but everyone. I, I mean. I think there are, I don't even know how many defensive plays into the Fresno State game before the commentator and, and the game was saying, wow, look how far they're playing off. So, yeah, at one point, you just have to say, F it. Let's press, let's press, press these receivers. Let's just press them and let's see what happens. Because has that ever happened? Have they ever pressed anyone while this coaching staff? And really been burned consistently deep? I don't remember it. So they're scared. They're running scared over something that hasn't even happened. It's just pure conjecture. Just press. Just try it. Let's see what happens. Um, God. And I would I would much rather watch that. I would much rather watch them playing aggressively. They've got big corners. Mo Osling is 6'1". Um, you know, Devin Kirkwood is going on, he's 6'3". Use the size to get up there, press the guys, and then if they get burned somehow deep, that's fine with me. But at least it's consistent with what you're trying to do defensively. That's that's the thing. That, that's what was so frustrating about watching that game. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not married together correctly. Um, right. Because to do what they were doing in that game, you need... You truly would need NFL talent in the secondary um, to play yeah. off like that and then be able to recover when they do little hitches or whatever. Um, they, and they don't have that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, logically, when you've got big dudes like Mo Osling playing a lot of snaps, when Devin Kirkwood's playing a lot of snaps, I mean, even Obi Ebo, I think if you're looking for an area where he's better, it's probably pressing a guy. Pressing, um, yeah. Those guys, yeah. I mean, it just makes more sense because it's not just scheme-wise. You're playing probably to their strengths better. And by that, I mean their literal strength and size. 
um, because they're not, um, you know, necessarily going to keep up with, you know, a 5'10 guy who can burn. Um, and this game is going to be a different matchup, too. I mean, you've got more size at receivers. So will that make them want to press more and get into kind of fights at the line of scrimmage and then turn them into one-on-ones where Stanford can create their pass interferences or whatever? Or are they going to want to play off because they're thinking, okay, we've got an athletic advantage over these guys. So we can play off, recover, um, and, you know, uh, whatever. Allow ourselves um, a a little bit more room to work so that we're not getting PIs called on us all the game. It's going to be interesting to see. I'm not not completely sold. They're just going to press Stanford all game. I don't even know if that would be successful. um, Because, again, Stanford does have a pretty heavy PI offense. Yeah. Um, So it's going to be... what I'm guessing it's going to be is another pseudo shootout. Um, I, I think that's just the way this is lining up to be. Um, Stanford has also lost some stuff in their secondary. Um, you know, they've they've had injuries at safety basically from the preseason. Um, UCLA might be limited a little bit there. So I don't think either defense is going to be top tier. Um, and both offenses, I think, will be able to generate yards. Um, I think UCLA will be able to run the ball. I think Stanford's going to be able to throw the ball. Um, and the question is just going to be, you know, is UCLA more likely to generate a few stops or is UCLA's offense more likely to shoot itself in the foot a few times? Stops and turnovers, yeah. right? But doesn't this make for a, doesn't this make for a fun game then? Kind of a I, shootout I, 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 The last time I enjoyed a UCLA-Stanford game um, was never. <laughs> um, even that 2005 game where it was like an enjoyable finish, that's the closest I've come to like leaving a game early. Um the comeback uh, up at Stanford. Is it because you just dislike... Let me ask you this. Do you think David Shaw is a good coach? I think he's... Um, yeah, in some ways I do. Um, I think he's got some major flaws that um, that like rub me in particular wrong. Um, like his fourth down conservatism, um, his bizarre and like frankly avant-garde um, uh, red zone play calling. Um, but <laughs> I love that you call something so incredibly conservative <laughs> avant-garde. Just that like, is brilliant. It's, it's so conservative. It's avant-garde. You know, it's, it's frankly, it's, he's making a statement by doing that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I find that all kind of like odd. Uh, but I think he, you know, when everyone was zigging, he zagged and he zagged even harder than other people. And I think there's no way of looking at what Stanford has done in the last decade and say he didn't make the right choice. Um, I think the the way they have gone about things, um, offensively especially, um, has fit that program. And yeah, some of that was Jim Harbaugh. But I think if you're just pinning it on Jim Harbaugh, well, Jim Harbaugh was done coaching there a full decade ago, and David Shaw still had quite a bit of success afterwards. Um, I just I think as an in game coach, he's very very frustrating. Uh, but I think as like a program guy for what Stanford needs, I think he's almost a perfect fit. Yeah. I, 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 so what do you think of Kalen DeBoyer? I think he's great. Now, a lot of that is based off of literally one game, but also just the way they looked against Oregon. Um, I think he's, uh, if you go back and look at his resume, which, uh, that game made me interested in doing, he's one of those dudes who went from like high school coach to NAIA coach to then assistant for like several good coaches and then head coach at Fresno State. He was a dominant NAIA coach. Um, yep. And yep. I'm looking at that guy and I say, okay, 
keep an eye on him for a couple of years. Uh, hearing, a, hearing a little rumor. Mm. He might, of course, we're way more months away. Uh, he, You might see him involved, uh, mentioned with the Nebraska job, I think. That would be a really good fit. That'd be a horrible fit. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're already lining up for uh, UCLA's next coach. Um, yeah, I think he's um, he's potentially really good. I mean, the, how about how about DeBoyer at Nebraska and James Franklin at USC? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> why am I? I don't think James Franklin's getting. I don't think James Franklin's getting anything but a raise from Penn State. Yeah, I agree. But I I would bet that USC that that's their main. Oh, He's without a doubt, right without a doubt, that's their main yeah. guy. Um, after Urban does his song and dance and says no, um, yeah, no, I think it'll be James Franklin who's their target. There, that's just that's going to be pure manipulation for a raise. Penn, Penn yeah. State's a good enough job where he can win it. I mean, well, why make the switch if you can win it there? Why make if you can win it there and you're making a good amount of money? You get a raise and you're in. You know, uh, how much is is in state college it, he makes let's say eight million altogether how much is that in southern california dollars yeah i mean totally um but i uh, usc might be willing to break the bank for a guy like that i don't know the thing with franklin is um i wouldn't want him at usc um i don't think he's like an awesome coach but he's good enough and i think he'd be a fantastic fit for that program like yeah, i think I he too. would be really really good at all of the like soft stuff that goes around with being USC's head coach. Um, and I think he'd be good enough on the field that that would not be a good fit. It would be a long-term fit. Um, and I don't think that would be good for UCLA. You know, it's going to be very interesting uh, since we segued a little into the USC coaching job is I've talked with um, a lot of people I know uh, who are familiar with USC and, you know, as we are from, you know, a little bit of a detached viewpoint. Will, are they going to be susceptible of falling into the big name, big splash, as opposed to just going out and getting Mick Cronin, getting the equivalent of Mick Cronin, who's a good coach and, and will, you, you know, we would turn that program into a, a, you know, a competitor on a national level. Will the USC community Except a coach who isn't a big name and doesn't win the press conference. I think it'll be a tough road to hoe for whoever it is if they are not a current um, very good head coach. Um, so that's I, I think that's a concern. But I think USC would be stupid to make that like an overriding issue for them in hiring a coach. Um, because I, I think there are some strong candidates, but it requires a little bit of unearthing. Like one guy I would also be worried about is Kalani Sataki. Like if he showed up at USC, that would again be another major concern because there is zero doubt in my mind that that would instill a great deal of toughness in that program. Like yeah. there would, yeah. that would that would line play would suddenly be very very good again at USC, and that's not good. Um, but you do have to do some unearthing for those guys because, frankly, I I think there's a lot of I think you know Luke Fickle. I, I think he's a very, very good coach. I don't know if he's a fit, but he's a very, very good coach. I think that's the one that would maybe like um, thread the needle the best for, um, you know, you're getting both a good coach and somebody who's a decent enough name who's realistic. 
because I don't think James Franklin is actually that realistic. I think he's just. Gonna I, I don't par- think so. Either, I think he's going to parlay it for a raise. I don't yeah. think Matt Campbell is actually that realistic either. Um, I think. Well, they're not from this standpoint. From what I've heard of people who are very familiar with USC's mindset and the whole process, USC wants a coach, unlike Chip Kelly, who controls everything, who um, doesn't want really that much outside interference, doesn't want the obligation of of donor schmoozing and boosters they want someone who's really engaged who's going to give you know have no problem getting Snoop Dogg and his entourage sideline passes just really embraces and engages the whole LA thing that's not Matt Campbell and that's not Luke Fickle so yeah yeah and that'll all be um interesting to see how that kind of works itself out um how much those priorities actually end up mattering when they're hiring a coach yeah Um, but let's talk a little basketball recruiting let's do it because we're getting down to it man i mean early signing period in november you'd have to say is not that far off uh official visits are happening they had two official visits uh in the last week one from uh committed point guard dylan andrews and then from five-star power forward target Mark Mitchell. Um, I wrote out a little thing of some things I've heard that the, the, trip, went, the trip went very well uh, for Mark Mitchell. Um, but he's still on his plan to visit uh, Kansas, Missouri, and then, of course, Duke for their uh, Midnight Madness um, celebration thing. I don't know what they call it. Crazy. There's got to be something crazy in the title. Um, that's going to, you've got that going. He's still, Mark Mitchell is going to wait until December to decide. My gut, I've heard a lot of things. My gut feeling is still, maybe it's Duke, especially since they get that last, that last visit, even though I heard a lot of good things coming out of the visit to UCLA. Uh, some developments though, um, in post-recruiting Ernest Uday, uh, will visit UCLA October 1st. He's, he was going to visit late October, but his two main... We're under attack. His two main schools that he's really considering are Kansas and UCLA. Wanted to move that up to make a decision fairly quickly. And Adam Bona will probably move up his visit too to maybe the second week in October. Um... It looks like, well, I mean, those are the guys left that UCLA has the best chance of, get, of getting. Uh, I've heard Bona really See, does like UCLA. Wait, wait, hang on, hang on. Are you are you yeah. saying Mick Cronin might get a Bona? No, gosh. That's the only reason why I don't want that kid to come. Uh, we're going to have so many Bona jokes for, I mean, our board is rife with dad jokes to begin with. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah. Yes, what, Dave, What's the joke? That I, is... I, I don't get it. I was just trying to confirm. <laughs> um, I would say they might have a better chance with, with Mr. Uday, mm. too, also. So they get one of those guys. They'll be sitting pretty. They'll be sitting pretty. Go watch some tape of YouTube of Adam Bona. He's, he's kind of a beast. He might not be taller than 6'8", but he is a beast. Uh, Ernest Uday is more of a multi-year guy. Um Good student, probably long term, might even be more productive, more bring have contribute more to the program in the long term. So that's where that 
stands right now. They still are expecting a visit from uh, the wing, originally from Florida, Julian Phillips, uh, South Carolina, sorry. Um, but I'm not too... I'm not too optimistic about that. Uh, hard to get a kid from South Carolina. And also, he has some kind of connection to the USC program. Okay. So, um, but we should know a lot by, I'd say, mid-October, maybe, when it comes to Uday and Bona. Okay. And so, what you were saying about Bona is he, he doesn't necessarily have great size, but he does a lot with what he has? Yes. Uh, he's he's pretty thick. <laughs> He generally has nice. He has good girth. How's his I'd length? Say. How's his length? <laughs> He's for his size. <laughs> he has good length. Great. <laughs> oh god, that just that just hurts my soul. But yeah, okay. Explosive. So there you go. Explosive. It's you could call it explosive too, Dave. Yes. Great. He's got good stamina from watching. How does he shoot? <laughs> okay, Dave, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, Trace, you got anything else? Got anything else for me? No, I'm spent. You're, yeah. <laughs> you're tapped out. <laughs> All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we'll talk to you again next time. See you all.